show some appreciation to Rebecca for Or bigger, 
right? And and um, you know, like like model trains or, or or cars or airplanes, it's it's all about detail. It's all about replicating. Um, and and this is sort of the idea I want to present as we start talking about marriage. Okay. Um, one of the cool things about about the way God God designed the world is there are a lot of things that exist within the world that imitate things in heaven, right? Um, there's some more advanced ideas to this. Like if you read Hebrews, you'll read about how um, the old tabernacle where they would do sacrifices is just a recreation of something that exists in heaven, right? Um, and there are lesser extents of this, but but um, with marriage. Marriage isn't explicitly stated. This is something theologians have, uh, have kind of come up with over the years, and they've recognized sort of a neat thing here. Marriage um, is actually an imitation, to a degree, of, of the relationship that God has in the Trinity. And we're going to talk about something kind of heavy here. The Trinity is, is hard. Most people don't get it. It's a really tough thing to discuss. Um, but the nutshell version, right? So God... Um, God, God has a number of qualities, right? His first quality, his biggest, most important quality is holiness. We talk about that a lot, right? But one of the ones that we talk about, we hear often, is God is love, right? God is, is, is all about love. Like, one of his um, significant qualities is that, he, that he, he's all about love. Um, but love in and of itself um, isn't, a, isn't a standalone thing, right? Like, I can't say, well, I have love if I don't aim it at something, right? I love Abigail. I love Jessica. I love tacos. I love Justin's car. I love like a number of things that that, that is aimed at something else, right? And and you'll see this sometimes where folks love themselves, right? Like they enter their marriage relationship with the whole intent of it's all about me, right? Um, now, if God's one of God's major qualities is love, um, but God is the only thing that is eternal, meaning God has no beginning and He has no end. Right? Nothing else that exists. The world, the universe, nothing else that exists um, goes all the way back. Right? There's a starting point for everything else because it's all created. When I built my little model airplanes, they had a starting point. Right? Probably a factory in China at a minimum on my dining room counter where I messed them up royally. Um, but they, they had a starting point. Um, for God, there is no beginning. But if God's quality is love, Right? He's got to love something. And so the way that this happens is, it happens in the Trinity. There is only one God. Right? However, in order for God to aim this love at something else that is also eternal, He is it. Right? And so we have three persons. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. Right? They're all God. They're separate persons, but they're all one. Everybody with me? There's sort of some mystery to this. I'm not going to be able to nail it down into a tiny little details and make it clear as can be, because it's kind of an advanced concept. It's really tough to understand. But the important idea here is Father, Son, Holy Spirit are interconnected. They're one, but they're separate. And they exist in a relationship of love and respect and obedience, right? When Jesus talks about the Father, he says, I and the Father are one. He talks about... Um, you know, I obey the Father, right? Like a, like, like a good son, this is how he is. Um, like he goes to the cross in obedience to God the Father. Does that mean that the Son is lower in the hierarchy? Well, no, they're still equal, right? They can be equal, but one can obey the other in a place of equalness. Everybody with me? 
any questions? I doubt there would be. Um, <clears throat> okay, so this is our eternal thing. And we're going to start on the model, okay? So when God creates man, he creates man in whose image? His own image, right? So there are certain things about man that reflect God, right? Because God does that. He creates the world, you know, and he creates things that reflect his own glory. And man is created in God's image. And it starts with man. And so man, how is man in God's image? Well, for starters, he's without sin when he's initially created, right? He rules over the earth, meaning he goes around and names things, right? He names the animals. He takes care of the garden, right? So he's sort of like master of his domain, much like me in the living room sometimes. Like he's in charge in this place until my wife gets home or the baby wakes up. <laughs> and then I'm second in command or fourth. I think the dog probably ranks above me at that point. Um, there's a corner of the basement I sit in, and that's my spot. Um, <laughs> But in this way, Adam reflects God, right? Like, he is in God's image because he's in charge. Now, um, up until this point, God has created things. And every time he creates something, he's like, hey, it is good. And um, he gets to a point where the first time God in the scriptures indicates that something isn't the way it's supposed to be, it's with Adam. We're going to be in Genesis 2, by the way. Um, we're going to start at verse 18, if you're following along. I'm going to put some of the verses on the screen, not all of them. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Okay. So it's not good that man's alone. What does that mean? Well, it's not in harmony with the design that's built into him. Right? Um, I, I've seen a, a handful of... Uh, large pieces of farm equipment. How many of y'all have a large piece of farm equipment? How often is it that a large piece of farm equipment ceases to work the way it's supposed to and breaks out of its design and stops working right? <laughs> Frequently, right? Like, like um, the moment one part stops working the way it's supposed to, it gets out of design. Then you can help that along. Um, if you were to, I don't know, dump orange juice into the fuel tank, not according to its design, right? Farm equipment won't work on orange juice, probably. Um, and, and so, like, outside of its design, outside of man's design, he's alone. Meaning he has no one to be in relationship with because man is like God, right? Man is a creature of community and love. And so man is supposed to be connected to another. God's solution is to find him a helper. Now... I'm going to be really careful, and I, I don't intend to offend anyone. Um, and so, so don't hear me doing that on purpose. Um, the word helper here is sometimes misunderstood. Okay? Um, the word, the Hebrew word, uh, is employed about 15 times in the scriptures, right? Um, Twelve of those times refer to God helping man. Actually, it would be 11. Um, like, like, the vast majority of the uses refer to God helping man, right? So, like, God stands with man, and God aids man. The rest of them are related to military, and if you want to connect that to husband and wife somehow, like, fighting, whatever, <laughs> feel free. But, but the dominant meaning of this actually relates to um, the idea that your power is insufficient to accomplish what you're trying to do, and so you need assistance. Um, and so God looks at Adam and says, now, you need a servant, not you, 
you need somebody to like, you know, cow-cow after you and bring you sandwiches. Although that's a nice thing to do occasionally. Um, he's saying, um, you're just not quite sufficient on your own. And because you're not quite sufficient on your own, I'm giving you someone. And that someone is supplemental. That someone is a part of what you're doing, right? And so there's a tendency to read this and say, oh, 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 look, Eve, help her. <laughs> means man's doing something, Eve's the assistant. Um, actually, again, the common usage doesn't really support that, okay? I'm, I'm not making huge statements about anything in particular. I'm saying that in the original design, in the original design, we imitate God, right? And God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're not a hierarchy. They submit to each other out of love. But they're connected intimately. It's a part of who they are. And they assist each other in accomplishing things. The Son goes to the cross because God sent him. And he accomplishes God's work at the cross, right? Like, so this is a, a thing he's sent to do, and it's, it's a fulfilling. Everybody with me? Um, nobody's stormed out yet, so I'm doing okay. i got to be careful. I say terrible things about marriage all the time, and I'm <laughs> trying to be funny, and I'm not trying, to, not trying to do that today. So he sends him out to find a helper, and he has him gather up all the animals. Um, and, and it says, the man gave names to all the cattle, and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper. Um, no suitable helper. This will like him, you know, the dog is man's best friend, can't replace your wife, right? He can't. I, I think I read something about a horse replacing a wife effectively. Also, like, <coughs> like yeah, actually, we do need each other. That, that, that idea that a, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, not true, right? We're designed to be connected to each other. We're designed to be in intimate community. It's, it's, in, our, it's in our fabric. It's in our framework. It's in our blueprints. Right? When you crack open your tractor or, or your combine or whatever, and you notice things ain't working right, you, know, you refer to the blueprints, I assume, or you refer to the, the book, and you say, oh, wow, this is how this is supposed to be. Let's go ahead and make it the way it's supposed to be. Man is supposed to be connected. This is how we are. Because we're like God, and God lives in community. God is all about love, and love has to aim at something. Um, so moving along. 21 and 22. Um, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord fashioned a woman, the rib which he had, or excuse me, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Okay, excuse me. So God puts him to sleep, probably because he pulled a rib out of him. I'm just saying. <laughs> Right? Like, this is probably not something he wanted to witness. Um, but the way the language is, right, like, like the whole passage sort of breaks into a poetic form. Now, the scriptures are funny because every once in a while there will be all this poetry, and when you read it in English, you lose it, right? And there are word plays, and you lose those. Like, one of the word plays there is rib, right? Now, in Samaria, Bible, by the way, Genesis probably not written in Hebrew originally. Right, eventually translated into Hebrew, whole other conversation. But in Sumerian, the word rib is almost identical to the word love. And so there's a funny little wordplay here is that Eve isn't just made out of a part of Adam, but she's made out of a part of his life. Right? 
I mean, there's a connection here that goes deep, deep, deep down to the core of who he is, right? And what does this tell us about, first off, about marriages, that when you're married, you're supposed to be connected on this level. This is the ideal. Everybody with me? But it's also a reflection of who God is. And so, um, if you're going to know God differently today, know him because, as a, you know, if you're a married person, you might recognize that there's an intimate bond there. And it's an intimate bond that God like, shares within the Trinity. Um, it, it's very popular to try to understand that in different ways, like water, ice, and steam, right? Like, but that denies this person's thing. God is, God is all about love, intimate connection, one. Everybody with me? Anybody not awake enough to nod? Um, so, God makes this woman out of the rib. And, and um, there's another bit of significance there. Um, she didn't pull one of his toes off, right? You get ten of them, you don't really need all of them. But she didn't, he didn't do that, right? He didn't make her out of something from underneath him. And she didn't make, you know, God didn't make her out of something from the top of him, Right? Like, she was neither to lord over him, she was neither to stand under his feet. Um, but she was made out of his side, to stand right next to him. And the ribs are right next to your heart, right? So what are we to deduce about marriage? Well, married couple are supposed to stand next to each other. And they're supposed to be connected to each other on a heart level. Like, we are designed to be this way. This is what God meant it to be like. Um, and it's an imitation of the Trinity, right? Like, God is intimate and stands beside himself. Um, the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Um, this is another spot where it's badly translated. First off, this is Adam immediately sees the woman. His first words are, This is now, which is awful. Because what he actually said, the way that this should be translated is, oh, wow. Right? The proper expression here. It's like the first time I saw my wife and the words that came out of my mouth were, oh, wow. This is how we're designed to see our spouses, right? Like, you're supposed to look at your wife and the first thing that comes to mind is, wow. Thank you. I mean, because that's how Adam responds, right? Um, which, by the way, is why certain sins are a huge deal. Because when we start looking at other women and, oh, wow, is the first thing that comes out of our mouth, guess what we're doing? We're denigrating the gift that God designed for us, right? This internal, integrated, connected part of us. When we toss that off and say, hey, she's hot, not okay, right? Um, so Adam also, the other thing, he breaks into poetry. I wish I was that smooth, right? Like he sees his, his wife, and the first thing he does is he, he, he breaks into verse spontaneously. It's like a musical. I mean, it's something else. He's hugely impressed by her. And the phrase he uses, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Um, this is a phrase, if you search through the scriptures and other ancient literature, this phrase is used to refer to family, right? And so the first thing he says is, oh wow, she is my family. Like, like family, like to a degree, it's brother and sister family. It's immediate blood connection. Um, that's how close they're supposed to be. Um, and actually, the scripture reinforces that when it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, the phrase, will leave his, is just another bad translation. Because what it actually should say is forsake, right? For this reason, he will forsake his mother and father. 
Now, the number one commitment a Jewish man has is to God. Number two is family, right? Look at the commandments. First commandment, right? Honor God, right? The fifth commandment, which is the first as it relates to people, is honor your mother and father. It is the number one rule for dealing with other people in the Bible, or in the, in the Ten Commandments. But this says, forsake your mother and father, and go with your spouse. So now, what's connected to this? Well, at the moment you're connected, the moment you're married, your allegiance is gone. Your number one allegiance becomes your family, your spouse. doesn't mean that you don't honor your parents anymore, but it does mean your spouse is number one and needs to remain in that spot. This is something folks struggle with. Has anybody been married for a long time and found themselves... Like, or I've seen other folks do this where they'll run off to mom or they'll run off to dad to talk about why husband or why wife is the worst person in the whole world. It does happen, right? Number one cause of divorce in America today, cited family. Number two is money, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, because folks don't know how to separate. The moment you're married is over, you and them. Everybody with me? It's a huge deal. Um, Culturally, this would not be something that, that would be missed. The last line there, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. This made it really difficult to find pictures for this sermon. <laughs> they made it really awkward to search them. <laughs> um, they were both naked and they were unashamed. All sorts of things can be said about this, right? Um, but I'm going to tell you that there's a principle here that needs to be picked up on. They were naked. Um, what did they have to hide? What did they have to cover up? How many of y'all have like a dark little secret that you keep buried that you don't want anybody to know about? Um, I, a few years ago, uh, we, we had a, 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 a loss and everybody we knew knew about it. And, and it, was, it was really awkward to have something that personal that out there. And I, I felt a little naked. This is the idea, right? Like they were both naked because they had nothing to hide. Their relationship was such that, that they were completely open and honest and there was nothing to bury and nothing to throw away and nothing to, nothing to get away with, right? Like they were just open. And this lasts for a little while. Um, we're going to skip ahead. We're not going to do the whole two and three because I don't want to be here all day. Or you don't want to listen to me all day. Um, but chapter three, the worst of the worst happens. They rebel, right? They fall, and now they're simple. And the very first thing that happens, they've eaten the fruit. Um, by the way, if you want to read this on your own, there's an interesting thing that happens here. Eve gets a lot of bad press on this, right? Because she, she took the first bite. But um, she immediately turns to Adam, who's hanging out with her, and, and hands the fruit to him, right? So, like, part of the reason that like this happened is because Adam, is the, as the man, stood there and let it happen. Um, there's the role of the man. I'd be offended by it if you want. I'm going to tell you this is the truth of it. There's the role of the husband. There's the role of the father to stand up for the integrity of their family, right? To lead them in right behavior. And the beginning of Adam's failure is to fail to stand up, right? To fail to say, hey, we don't need this. We're going somewhere else. It's our job, right? If you're a man, if you're married, this is your job. Like, hey, what you want? It is. We stand up for the moral integrity of our families. We lead in that area. If we don't lead in that area, nobody leads in that area. For our wives, do, and unfortunately, that happens more often than it should. 
Um, so, it's perfect all the way up until this point. They eat the fruit, then their eyes, the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So, the first thing that happens, right? So we have our perfect model, by the way. Everybody's got the perfect model? Open and honest, intimately connected, standing next to each other, equals but submissive to each other. Marital relationship the way it was designed. It's a model of the Trinity, right? Now we have an imperfect version. This is point two, right? So the imperfect version, they realize that they're naked and they immediately cover up. So the openness and the intimacy is gone and the secrets enter. Nothing, nothing's worse for a marriage than keeping big, huge, ugly, dark secrets, right? Um, there's a saying in AA, you're only as sick as your secrets. And the reality of it is, is this is the beginning of everybody else's headache, right? Thanks a lot, guys. Um, <laughs> this is the beginning of all of this difficulty. This is the beginning of disharmony in marriage. And it begins there, because they look and they're like, oh my gosh, we're naked, let's cover up. Who else is there to see them? Them, right? It's not like they're covering up for anyone else. They're doing it for each other, and they're married, and they've been naked together their whole lives, but now they got stuff to hide. Um, so they cover up, and they hear God coming, and the very next thing they do, um, they heard the sound of God, or the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they hear God coming, and their first response is, oh my gosh, let's get out of here. <laughs> well, where do you run from God, right? So you go hide in the trees, and it's not like he isn't going to find him. Um, I'm looking forward to the day that Abby is old enough to hide from me when she colors on the walls. Um, <laughs> I know sometimes she's hiding out when she's doing stuff she isn't supposed to, because suddenly she's quiet, and I know she's hiding behind the dining room table, because I can see her, and I'm thinking, what's she up to, right? And this is roughly what happens. God walks into the garden, they're gone. They're hiding from him. And God looks for him, and he finally finds him, and he says, hey, where were you guys? I came to see you, and you hid from me. Um, and they said, well, we realized we were naked. Like, we're out here, we're naked. We didn't want you to see us naked, so we hid. Um, well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat off that tree? Anybody ever do that with the kids? Where you know the answer, but you're asking, because you're like, I know what you did, buddy. And here's the chef, right? Adam went from poetry, like, oh, wow, he's hot. Let me recite a poem to... You know what, God? That woman that you gave me, she gave it. She gave me the fruit and I ate it, right? So it's your fault and it's her fault, but it ain't my fault. What a chef. So here's a question. How many of y'all, the way you communicate in your marriage, it's a little more like the second one than the first one? <laughs> it happens, right? I mean, and it's actually sort of funny how you go from dating to married and you realize that like there's this big shift in the way you talk. Here it is. Right? This is a result of the fall. It's going from we together to me. It's a shift from love for each other selflessly to love for me more than anything else. And that's what Adam's doing. He's covering his own butt, right? Your fault, her fault, me a little bit, but not really. That's what's happening here. Um, all of our difficulty in marriage, arguing, fighting, divorce, everything is a direct product of us not being the way we were meant to be. It's breakdowns in the, in the farm equipment, right? Like, when the pieces don't work together right anymore, when they get to grind into each other, when they tend to overheat, um, when they boil over, when they get all steamed up, 
this is it. It's because they're imperfect models, imperfect replications, like my, my junky model airplanes with my fingerprints all over them, and the pieces that won't stay on because I used too much glue and it melted the plastic, right? Like, this is what it is. It's not the way it was meant to be. And we're stuck with it. And if you try really, really hard to fix it, you're just going to be really, really trying hard to fix something that's going to get more broken the harder you try. At the end of the day, what God provides us to fix the things that are broken in this world is Jesus. Um, the creation is out of order. In order to fix it, God takes punishment that we've earned. He comes, he's tortured, he dies after living a sinless life, and we're forgiven through him. And all of our redemption comes in Christ. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this. Um, how do we become the way God intended to? We learn to love the way Christ loved. Um, after the Old Testament, we get into the New Testament, and the Bible compares marriage to Christ and the church over and over again. That's what we're going to talk about the next two services, right? Christ and the church. How do we be like Jesus in our marriage? Um, to give you a, oh, well, to give you a basic idea of what we're to do, though, we're supposed to figure out how to love each other the way that God loves the church. We're supposed to learn to love each other and submit to each other in love. Um, we see that in the curse, there's a breakdown there, right? Like God says to the woman, you know what? Because you fell apart, your husband's going to lord over you, and you're going to want him, and you're going to want him to the point where like, it's going to like be, right? You're going to break down. Why? Because this is part of the curse. The marriage relationship won't be the way it was. It won't be the way it was supposed to be. We get back to that in Christ. Um, and we get back to that by learning to selfless and love the way that God loved us. Um, we're going to work through a lot of practical stuff in the next few weeks, right? Um, a lot of how do we imitate God's love? How do we imitate the Trinity? How do we imitate Christ's sacrifice for us in our marriage relationships, uh, in our relationships with others? How do we become what we were meant to be again? Um, after this huge breakdown, um, and it's one of the worst things that can happen, right? Um, we're going to pray, and after that, we're going to um, celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, one of the big central ideas to, to communion is this idea that um, in Christ we're unified together, right? We're unified with Christ, we're unified with each other. It's a return to the design because we become a part of Christ and we become one in Christ. Um, and so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to challenge you to reflect. You're forgiven because of God. And we return to the way he created us to be, like in our community together, in our love for each other. Uh, I'm going to call for the ushers, and I think Larry's got a song.